I'm Chris Sims. And I'm Aaron Woodrick. This is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. In this episode, we're going to take a deep dive into Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's second carbon tax. And in Waste Watch, we've actually got the bills for his 2019 Christmas vacation. Stick around for that. But I hear there's a big job opening that comes with really fancy public housing. Uh, It's true, Simmer. It's the Governor General of Canada. We don't actually have one right now. Well, we do. We have a a, a temporary interim one. The Chief Justice of the Supreme Court is pinch hitting for the time being, but he can't do two jobs at once. So um, we're going to have to get a new Governor General uh, toot sweet. There is turbulence in the realm. So does Your Majesty the Queen need to post this up on LinkedIn? Wanted. Person who will follow ceremonial protocols, wear fancy outfits, and hopefully be nice to their staff. Bonus, huge salary and crazy perks. Is that how it goes? Basically, but and you'd think it would be easy to find somebody who would fit the bill. I mean, to just uh, do ceremonial duties and get all those perks, but didn't. it was not a good fit for Madame Payette, apparently. Um, she had to resign from her job after an investigation into some allegations about a toxic workplace. We haven't seen the report yet, but uh, she's already resigned. So I'm assuming whatever's in it is not going to be very flattering. It's a very rare thing to have a governor general resign. It's never happened before. Um, but from a taxpayer standpoint, uh, the even bigger deal is that even though she's gone, we're still actually going to be stuck paying her expenses. And I don't mean for a little while, I mean for the rest of her life. And that's because on top of the extremely generous pensions that former governor generals get, and on top of the startup money they get uh, for for starting things like a new foundation after they leave uh, Rideau Hall, taxpayers also get soaked for their office expenses for life. Okay, you're in Ottawa right now. I worked there and lived there for a long time too. So we're both used to seeing crazy level waste, but man, expenses covered for life, that's entitlement on steroids. But how much money ballpark are we talking about here? We're talking about a lot, uh, but before I get to the amount, people should realize this is a really unusual policy. Even the former prime ministers do not have a policy like this. Um, And to look at an example of how much it can cost taxpayers, you look at Adrian Clarkson, who uh, was governor general until 2005. Her annual pension is $149,000 a year. She got almost $10 million to start up a foundation. Um, And since leaving office in 2005, she has racked up more than a million dollars in office expenses that taxpayers have had to pay. And again, that's on top of the pension she gets and that startup cash. She's also won an unprecedented two Lifetime Achievement Teddy Waste Awards from the CTF. You know, I got to wonder if she's putting that money towards maybe writing a fashion advice book for us commoners. (laughs) Because I got to remember, I know you do too, this past spring during the worst of COVID, she actually went online and scolded people for wearing sweatpants and not being chipper. Yeah, uh, if ever there were a person who could get another, an award, never mind for wasting money, for being tone deaf, uh, I think Ms. Clarkson would be in the running, you know, making fun of people who are the ones paying her pension and her expenses, uh, you know, because they don't have a job and they need to pay their rent. Um, I, I may or may not have given her some helpful advice and she didn't uh, take that very well. No, she did not. I think she might have blocked you. But back to Payette. Okay, she was Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's pick of the litter. By all reports swirling around Ottawa, he apparently bypassed the entire vetting process, usually employed for naming governors general, and he just picked her without calling references. Now she's gone. But why would we need to pay her all of this stuff still after this big mess? That's what a lot of people don't get. 
Well, the short answer is it has to do with the policies in place and those policies are ridiculous. So for Payette, when she left, um, she qualified for the pension because according to the Governor General's Act, the only thing you need to do to get the pension is to stop being the Governor General. And so she's done that and she's resigned. Uh, and on top of that, we were talking about the office expenses. I didn't do the big reveal on the amount. It's $206,000 per year with virtually no transparency that a former Governor General can charge that taxpayers have to pay. And that expense account lasts for the rest of their life. Okay, that's just gross, but there must be a way to rinse most of the sting out of this, right? There's got to be a way of boiling down this entitlement, is there? Sure, and there's a number of things governments can do. I mean, they could start by cutting off all the expense accounts for former governors general starting now, um, finish it. Uh, Mr. Trudeau said two years ago that he was going to look into it. Well, he's had two years. Um, now's as good a time as ever. So he needs to get moving and, and ax that expense account. Uh, we've set up a petition. You can go to taxpayer.com uh, and sign it. We've already had tens of thousands of people sign it in just a couple of days, um, calling on the government to, to finally make this change. And, you know, other simple things, whoever the next governor general is, uh, maybe no more renovations. Uh, Madame Payette spent about a quarter of a million on renovations, and she wouldn't even move in to the building that she wanted the renovations on. So these are the sorts of things that really need to stop. They absolutely do. Thank you so much for this, Woody. Let's hope we get some change there. Coming up soon, we have some more exclusive information about the Prime Minister's price tag for that 2019 vacation that he took coming up in Waste Watch. But first, we're going to take our deep dive. This is Deep Dive. It's the part of the show where we like to dive into important issues that Canadian taxpayers need to know a lot more about. So you all know about Trudeau's carbon tax and how just before Christmas, he announced that he's actually jacking it up by about 467% by the year 2030. Merry Christmas indeed. But did you also know that a week before Christmas, Trudeau buried a second carbon tax within so-called clean fuel regulations? Well, our Alberta director, Franco Terrazano, just finished going through all of those regulations, and he's joining the show now to fill you in on the details. Franco, break it down for us. Just exactly what is Trudeau's second carbon tax? Well, yeah, Chris, you know, I did go through those regulations over the weekend. And let me just say, yeah, not exactly the best way to spend a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> but make no mistake about it, Trudeau is getting ready to hammer families with a second carbon tax. It's all there buried within the regulations. And here's how it's going to happen. Trudeau is going to force producers to reduce the carbon content of their fuels. And if those companies can't meet Trudeau's requirements then they're going to have to pay a second carbon tax. And here's such an important takeaway for taxpayers. Trudeau's second carbon tax, yeah, it's not going to replace the current carbon tax. It's going to be layering more costs on top. And it's important to point out that it isn't just some magical corporation that's going to get dinged with this. That cost is going to trickle down to you and me. Now, remember just a few months ago, Trudeau promised that he was not going to be increasing costs or hiking taxes. Take a listen for yourself. So will taxes be going up then? No. Uh, the last thing Canadians need uh, is to see a raise in taxes right now. Uh, millions of Canadians are out of work and looking for work. The economy is still uh, nowhere near uh, where we need it to be. Uh, we have work to do and we are not going to be saddling Canadians with extra costs. Okay, I've got a feeling Trudeau's second carbon tax does come with some pretty big darn costs. Franco, fill us in on those ones. 
Well, it sure does, and that means Trudeau lying to us. And that's because his second carbon tax is expected to increase the cost of gasoline by up to 11 cents per liter by 2030. Yeah, that's an extra 50 cents at the pumps in 2030 when you include Trudeau's first carbon tax and now his second carbon tax. So what does that mean in dollars? Well, that's nearly 40 bucks that a family is going to have to shell out every time they go and fill up their minivans. And that's just in those carbon taxes. All of the other taxes are still there, plus the cost of fuel. So that's really a sky-high price. And I know firsthand that the second carbon tax is going to increase costs. We're living with it here in BC. We've been struggling under both the BC carbon tax and our provincial version of the second carbon tax for years now. And it's not pretty. It's really mangling people's wallets. Some of our listeners might remember back when BC Premier John Horgan was completely mystified as to why we had gas prices in Vancouver at $1.70. That was $1.70 per liter for regular. And that was the spring before COVID. So BC Premier John Horgan was completely confused as to why it was that expensive. All the while, he was opposing the twinning of the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which delivers gasoline product to the lower mainland. And he was jacking up our provincial carbon tax. He was so confused and puzzled, he actually called an inquiry into the cost of gasoline. Let's get to the bottom of this. But he wouldn't let investigators consider the actions of government, like strangling pipelines or jacking up taxes. The result of the investigation? A mysterious 13-cent markup on gasoline in BC. That's the second carbon tax. But what about the job element here, Franco? People are already struggling and jobs are top of mind. Is Trudeau's second carbon tax going to affect jobs? Well, you know, I actually couldn't find um, anywhere in those regulations the analysis on the number of jobs we're going to lose from Trudeau's second carbon tax. But fortunately, Canadians for Affordable Energy, they did do their homework. And I spoke with the president, Dan McTeague, about the cost of Trudeau's second carbon tax. And here's what he said. Well, the carbon tax, the second version, is going to lead to a loss, a net loss of about 30,000 jobs in Canada. That's a, that's a huge hit. That's really huge. But let me, let me dive into that. Let me break it down by province for you here. So that's more than 6,800 potential job losses in Alberta, more than 11,000 potential job losses in Ontario, more than 2,300 job losses in Quebec, and more than 1,200 potential job losses in Newfoundland and Labrador. Now, that's a huge number of lost jobs. Now, the feds did do an overall cost estimate. You know, the feds said that Trudeau's second carbon tax could cost us more than $6 billion in lost economic activity in 2030. Wow, those stats are just sickening. I actually I have a friend in Brooks, Alberta. She was managing a hotel before COVID, and her husband was working on Keystone. He waited for months to get that job. So the last thing Canadians need to hear right now is a promise of more job losses. The number one rule of government should be to do no harm. And the Trudeau government just keeps finding new ways of hammering struggling families, it seems, and businesses with these higher costs and more job losses. So Franco, you touched on the provincial breakdown of these costs as far as jobs goes. So can you give us more numbers on how this will affect provinces too? Yeah, well, I mean, it's important to note right off the top that none of the provinces are going to be made better off from Trudeau's second carbon tax. Um, Ontario, Quebec, now those are the two provinces that are expected to take the largest hit to their economy, but that's also because they're just the largest provinces. But when you look at how it's going to hurt provinces relative to their economies, it's actually the Atlantic provinces that are going to be hit the hardest, largely because of the type of home heating they use, and it's just going to be harder for them to offset the costs. So you got New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland and Labrador, 
all going to lose out on more than $200 million in economic activity in 2030. Yeah, so it's going to be a big hit for those provinces and, and really most provinces, right? Especially those if, if we're still struggling. Now, in terms of the industries that are going to be hit the hardest, well, it's going to be oil refineries. You're going to get some players in oil sands that are going to be harmed from this as well. And also, to no one's surprise, transportation. It's not a surprise. You know, I lived in Atlanta, Canada, and I've got tons of family there. I'll put it this way. They don't have $200 million in economic activity to spare. Okay, they're, they're in tough right now. So this is just awful. I read in the paper, actually, that Dan McTague called Trudeau's second carbon tax, quote, extremely cruel. Do you know why he chose that word? Well, it's because Trudeau's second carbon tax is expected to disproportionately harm lower income earners. And, and even the federal government acknowledged this. I mean, obviously, people who earn less money can least afford higher energy bills, higher home heating bills, and higher fuel bills. And it also turns out that, well, yeah, it's not exactly easy for everyone to just go out and buy a Tesla. Go mm. figure. <laughs> And the federal government also acknowledged that this second carbon tax could increase public transit fares, which again, disproportionately harms lower income earners. And you know who else is going to be impacted big time from this? Surprise, surprise, Canadians living in rural areas. Yeah, it turns out if you live in Camborne, Ontario, but you work in Oshawa, you can't just stop driving your car and take your unicorn to work. Uh, no kidding. We've been fighting with this now for years out here in BC because the cost of housing in Vancouver is absurd. In fact, it's absurd in most parts of BC. So a lot of people live down here in the Fraser Valley or they're even living up past Squamish now and they need to commute to work so they can actually feed their families. Guess what? You increase the cost of fuel, you're increasing their costs of living. Now, before we started recording, Franco, you were telling me that Trudeau's second carbon tax and the regulations actually look like an administrative nightmare too. Can you explain that? Yeah, well, it's definitely a nightmare for taxpayers and industry, but it's a bureaucrat's dream. And I mean, as I was going through the regulations, I had to pop an Advil just thinking about how these companies are going to deal with these regulations. I was getting a headache. Yeah, because producers, they, they got to keep records. They're going to have to submit reports, you know, a registration report, a compliance report, a refinery and upgrade report, and verification reports. The feds estimated that reports could take a company up to 90 hours per year. I mean, this whole thing is so bureaucratic. And you know what that means, don't you? Yeah, it means taxpayers need to pay for more bureaucrats to actually administer the second carbon tax. It's going to cost taxpayers an extra 85 million bucks just to enforce the damn regulations. So we're being hit twice. First with higher fuel prices and second with higher taxes to pay for more bureaucrats. Oh, this is so frustrating. And remember folks, carbon taxes are all about economic pain, but with no environmental gain. We're harming ourselves for what? So Trudeau and the politicians can feel good about jet setting their way to some fancy international conferences? Like, it just doesn't work. And out here in BC, we've had the highest carbon tax in Canada, but emissions keep going up. The government's own data shows that emissions have gone up 10% in the last three years here in BC, and they have gone up in five of the last seven years. It's a big, expensive failure. And you know, Canada only makes up for about 1.5% of global emissions. And as Trudeau himself admitted during interviews, even if he were to bring all of our industries to a screeching halt, okay, no more eating, no more heating your home, no more lights. If we did all of that, it still wouldn't do anything for the global environment. 
Well, you nailed it, Chris. And, and that's really why we're always so ready to fight carbon taxes. It's economic pain without the environmental gain. But, you know, there is still some good news for taxpayers, and that is that Trudeau's second carbon tax hasn't become law yet, so we can still stop it dead in its tracks. Now, we do have a petition at taxpayer.com to stop Trudeau's second carbon tax, so please sign and please share with your friends and family. And don't worry, we're also going to include a link in the show notes. Well, now it's time for Waste Watch. Uh, this is the part where we like to make fun of the dumb things that governments are doing with your money. And unfortunately for all of us taxpayers, there's no shortage of examples, which is why we always have this segment every week. Um, and today we have our very own in-house investigative journalist, James Wood. And he's going to share with us uh, some stuff from way back in a previous era that most of us barely remember, the year 2019. So James, what are we going to be talking about this week? So yeah, 2019 sometimes feels like many years ago, like the before times, some people say. But this actually concerns a trip that the Prime Minister took in late 2019, just before the pandemic turned the world upside down. So Trudeau took his family on a vacation to Costa Rica over the winter holidays. He came back with a beard. Pre-COVID-19, everyone lost their minds over that. Meanwhile, the cost of that trip kind of uh, flew under the radar, as it were. I see what you did there with the radar. Uh, but how high was the price tag? I mean, we're not, we're not too fussed here about where he goes, but we're obviously concerned about dollars and cents. So I'm pretty interested to know how much this costs. Yeah, so the records I dug up, they show the cost of flying the PM back and forth to the sandy beach of the Pacific. The cost came in for Canadian taxpayers close to $200,000. That's a little bit more than, say, a three-star all-inclusive to the Dominican, uh, <laughs> 200 grand. Um, now, you know, a lot of people may know that it's government policy, that the prime minister has to be flown in government jets at taxpayer expense. They say it's for security reasons. Um, it's basically the argument they make every time anyone criticizes the costs. But, you know, 200 grand still, even for these types of vacations, seems a little high. How did it get so high? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. For a bit of background, I had filed a few access to information requests after the Toronto Sun published a story about a flurry of Challenger flights around the same time of the vacations between Ottawa and San Jose. You'd think getting the PM and his family back and forth would just be two flights. Instead, there were six with two different planes involved. Yeah, I mean, normally when I take a vacation with my family that's a round-trip vacation, it's two flights. You go there and you go back. Um, so why, why are there six flights in this case? Uh, according to government records, so again, for more background, because it's just it's mind-boggling how expensive this can get. According to government records, it's $5,543 per hour to run those challengers. With around 34 hours of flight time linked to the trip from all those flights, the total bill for the planes was $187,353. On top of that, throw in the hotel bills for the flight crew and a $1,235 round-trip in-flight food bill, and we get a grand total of just over $196,000. Well, I guess if you're, uh, if you're running six flights instead of two and it costs you more than, uh, than 5000 bucks an hour, uh, it shouldn't be surprising that the bill gets a lot higher with yeah. all those extra flights. Mm. Um, and, you know, we know this isn't the first time, you know, Trudeau's taken uh, expensive tropical trips. In 2017, he went to the Bahamas, cost more than $215,000. Um, but, you know, there are other world leaders who take a different approach. You look at the United Kingdom, uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Uh, he made some positive headlines for himself back in 2018. He flew commercial from the UK uh, all the way to the Caribbean. 
Um, and it was a pretty stark contrast to these, you know, $200,000 plus trips. He flew economy <laughs> class with his girlfriend uh, and the total cost was 1300 pounds. So that's maybe $2,000 Canadian. Yeah. Uh, they, they were a picture of them. They were even sitting towards the back of the plane. Um, and, and yet to be clear, that's just for a vacation for his official travel. He still has a jet that he shares, uh, you know, with the Royal family. And, uh, you know, that makes sense because when you're doing official duties, you know, it's, it's sort of understood the taxpayers are, are put, put in the bill for that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the contrast is pretty stark. And so I put a few questions to the PMO about that stuff as I worked on the story. The most they would say was basically restating the prime minister's travel policy that he has to take the challengers for all the travel because of security reasons. They also pointed me towards the military for an explanation on the extra flights because those operations are handled by national defense. Long story short, the military said the flights were needed to accommodate holiday plans for the flight crews and the requirement for a jet that would fit new American aircraft tracking rules. Well, I mean, and these are things you would think common sense would dictate you would sort out before the trip, right? Can you imagine a, can you imagine a business or an airline themselves, you know, scheduling people who would have to be shipped back at their own cost? Uh, You know, why not just figure out in advance how to do this the most efficient and therefore the cheapest way. So that's pretty stunning. Um, But I I guess it did. So the government's not disputing the cost at all here. They're accepting the $200,000 price tag. So the most they kind of disagree with us was indicating the total Trudeau linked flight cost. And they said that was just over 57 grand, which was for the flights just carrying the PM and his family there and back. Make of that what you will. I also reached out to David Perry. He's an expert on defense procurement with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. He told me the right cost for these flights would still be the $187,353, despite what the military said. He compared it to a commercial flight. Getting the Trudeaus down to Costa Rica and back again was the cost for the tickets. The extra flight costs are how much money it took the airline to get down there in the first place. As for the American flight tracking problem, he believed the government should have had a handle on that before these flights were even planned. And you could venture to argue that they should have had, similar to your point, they should have had the, uh, the vacation plans for the crew sorted out as well and avoided this whole rigmarole in the first place. And it seems relatively simple. And it, it does seem a little bit silly to argue that, uh, you know, the cost is only 50,000, 57,000. I think the question for taxpayer, I mean, we're the ones paying the bills. How much did it cost us for the whole thing? It's not, we're not worried about how it was broken down. Yeah. Um, seems to me we're out almost $200,000. Uh, but I guess if there's any good news, um, you know, I, 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 it's a fair bet that he's not going to be going south anytime soon. Uh, given how much hot water some uh, some of our politicians have got uh, for taking travel during the pandemic. Yeah, that's that's the one silver lining here. Like these costs won't be kicking up again anytime soon. I mean, we'd hope that anyway. For anyone wanting to know more about the story, we have a full write-up on taxpayer.com with links to all the exclusive records so you can see the military explanation there. You can see all the flight records. Take a look at that and we'll see what happens with this in the future. All right, folks, that's the show. Thanks for listening. Normally, you'd be hearing Chris and Aaron taking care of this, but we had a crossed wire this week. No worries, that's why I'm here. Normally, they'd thank me here, but this week, I want to thank the rest of my wonderful colleagues for all their efforts in keeping government accountable across this country. And to all of our listeners, thanks for tuning in, and please let other people know about the podcast. We have big issues to tackle in this country, and we need your help to do it. We'll talk to you again next week. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, President of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. 
If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening. And thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.